Hey, welcome to The Heavy with Andrew and Don, where we cover a large range of rock and metal topics for the casual listener. I am your host, Don Sutherland, and with me as always is my brother, Andrew Sutherland. What's up, dirtbags? Remember, you can always email us at theheavypod at gmail.com or DM us on Facebook if you have any questions, comments, whatever, just want to chat with us. Andrew, what are we talking today? Uh, we're going to talk about the band Mayhem and the early Norwegian black metal scene. Oh, yes. There's going to be church burnings, right? Uh, several. Yes. All right. <laughs> this is what I've been waiting for. Did you hear my beer crack? You didn't say let's get into it. You uh, went, you went, yeah, sorry. I got too excited. <laughs> you went off script on. I don't appreciate it. I know. It. I was, I'm pumped. I want to, I've been waiting for black metal topics. Well, uh, I mean, th- this topic was supposed to be fairly general and ended up getting like really specific. So uh, it'll definitely uh, be, be room to, to grow later to, to do more on it. So Okay. Uh, wait, one more, one more question. Is this the, and I'll stay broad in case it is, is this the necklace band? If you know uh, they are the about. necklace. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yes, they are. Yes. yes. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm just excited. They're definitely like the most notorious of the Norwegian black metal bands. Yeah, okay. Well, I have a story about that part, but I'll wait till we get there to tell you. Can't wait. Okay, well, uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's get into this. Yep. So the, uh, the early 90s Norwegian black metal scene ended up getting pretty out of hand, as we've already alluded to, <laughs> <laughs> including, including suicide, murder, and a bunch of church burnings. Mm-hmm. There's several documentaries about the scene, including the excellent one called Helvet, which Helvet means hell in Norwegian. Uh, and it was also the name of the record store that was central to the scene in the early 90s. Oh, okay. That was uh, located in Oslo. Uh, the, the names of the documentaries, uh, the other documentaries are Until the Light Takes Us. And there was another one I found called Once Upon a Time in Norway. So Helvet and Once Upon a Time in Norway were in Norwegian, but they're subtitled. So they're okay. pretty easy to follow. The problem is that sometimes the subtitles don't exactly match up with what they're saying in Norwegian. So you got to... Just fill in the gaps a bit. <laughs> yeah. It's like sometimes the words they say, they the subtitles are like the opposite. Like they'll say good, mm-hmm. but they mean bad and stuff. It's, yeah, it's Oh, so it's like slang doesn't translate kind of. Yeah, I, I guess it just, sometimes it just ends up flipping around on them, but, uh, but they're really good yeah, anyway. Sense. So mm-hmm. uh, the, the, <clears throat> they also made a movie called Lords of Chaos, which is based on the book by the same name. So the, the movie is heavily dramatized. You can tell when you're watching it, but many of the events in it are actually corroborated in some of the interviews in the documentaries. A lot of it was pretty accurate. Okay. So, yeah. so it's still worth. Uh, worth yeah. It. Obviously certain, certain elements were dra- dramatized for, for the movie, but yeah. Uh, the most notorious band like I just mentioned, and probably the earliest influence on the scene was a band called mayhem. So other, other bands that were important to the scene were uh, Burzum, dark throne, emperor, immortal, and a band called thorns. I believe uh, from Metal Ahead Banger's Journey, I believe it's pronounced Borsum. Ah, whatever, man. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure Burzum's from like the dark, uh, what is it, the, the dark language from Lord of the Rings or whatever, or the black language. Oh, that I, that makes sense. The black speech, that's what it's called, right? Yeah, yeah, the, 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 Mordor, the Mordor language, yeah. Because yeah. there's another one that's just, there's another band that's straight up called Gorgoroth, which is, yeah, it's I also think, a region. Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Yeah, so there, there's a few Lord of the Rings references in black metal. Like some of them are pretty big fans. I knew you are too. So, yeah, very much so. So the uh, the beginnings of Mayhem were the bassist, a guy named Jorn Stuberud, also mm-hmm. known as Necro Butcher. 
<laughs> so, uh, Necro Butcher was getting together with other kids from his neighborhood, and eventually, with a drummer named Jettel Mannheim, mm-hmm. the, uh, the the two would ditch the other kids to. Uh, this is a quote from Mannheim: "Explore places that were more aggressive and shocking." Okay. So this is back when they were still, you know, in their mid-teens or something. They're pretty young. Uh, so Mannheim is the one guy who doesn't have a proper stage name. Like they just use his last name, Mannheim. Right. Out of all, okay. like pretty much all these guys in Mayhem and all the guys in the other bands too, all had stage names. I guess Mannheim kind of works, but if you have the chance, why would you not make a sweet name? Yeah, I don't know. Like there's so many options. <laughs> yeah, missed opportunity. So I'll probably, I might switch back and forth from their real names to their stage names, but I'll try to probably stick with their stage names for the most part. Okay, sounds good. So in uh, in 1984, uh, Jorn, or Necro Butcher, met <laughs> guitarist o- Oystein Arseth, who would be more commonly known by his stage name, Euronymous. Nah, the, uh, not as good as Necro Butcher. No, Necro Butcher is pretty sweet stage name. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the band would name themselves after the Venom song, Mayhem and Mercy. Okay. So Venom was one, if not their biggest influence, and Venom also coined the term black metal early on in the uh, okay. early 80s. That's what they called themselves? No, black metal was a, a title of one of their albums. Oh, okay, okay. So gotcha. it wasn't used to describe a, a genre of music at the time, mm-hmm. but it, it was later on. Okay. So uh, according to both Jorn and Mannheim, Oystein was very good in school and had a stable family life, but the trio were on the same page where they wanted to go musically. Okay. So, which was obviously a very dark place. <laughs> yes. Their, uh, their first dedicated vocalist was a guy named Billy Norheim, whose stage name was Messiah. In one documentary, it was said that they met at a Dio show, but in Once Upon a Time in Norway, Nordheim recalls it was actually an ACDC concert. That, that's the one I it was right from his mouth, so it sounds like the ACDC concert's one to go with. But. Yeah. The Necro Butcher and Euronymous noticed Norheim had a Venom backpatch like they did, and they were instantly drawn to each other. So uh, an interesting point that Norheim made in an interview was that Black Sabbath would mention Satan, but more as a bad guy, someone who would hurt you. And in his words, translated from Norwegian, suddenly Venom comes and sings that Satan is cool. Although deep down, this isn't part of the quote, but although deep down the band knew Venom's gimmick was just an image at the time. Right. So So they saw that it was an image, but they wanted it to not be an image? Yeah, I think they, they kind of glossed over that like they, they they wanted it to be more real but for venom it was it was the stage antics and an image right yeah yeah but th- these guys were gonna take it a little f- further <laughs> obviously <laughs> yeah yeah they weren't all like a bunch of satanists but they definitely took it a lot further than, than venom did yeah uh, but the the members of the band were interested in satanism early on and they would like these guys are pretty young right they're in their, their teens still and uh, they would discuss the idea or the ideas in the satanic bible and of alistair crowley Ah. the idea of Satanism uh, more along the lines of freedom of thought and against the power or control of religion and authority in general. Okay. So that was, okay. yeah, that drew them to the idea of Satanism, yes. Mm-hmm. Other bands that would inspire Mayhem and the other kids in the Norwegian black metal scene early on were bands like Bathory from Sweden, uh, Hellhammer mm-hmm. and uh, Celtic Frost from Switzerland, uh, a Danish band called Merciful Fate, who I've probably talked about before. Yeah, uh, and also early Sepultura and a band called Sarcophago, both from Brazil. Uh, oh, I early, love like, Sepultura. Yeah, I mean Sepultura turned into more of a thrash band, but their yeah. early stuff was was uh, closer to what black metal would become, I guess. Right. So in the Hellvate documentary, Necrobutcher remembers a talent show that the band played in 1984, 
where he planned to smash his base at the end of the show but he looked down at the stage floor and it looked expensive and then i watched the video and in the video you can see him think it over for a bit and then he just breaks the base over his knee <laughs> it's pretty funny like, <laughs> like totally he just looks like a kid who can't figure out what to do he's got some respect at least <laughs> like but yeah, i'll get in more trouble if i do this they were, they were super young and i mean they weren't making any money so he probably just didn't want to like cost the band a bunch of money right oh yeah yeah a bunch of the early members of mayhem remember Euronymous being fervently left-wing politically which was in one of the documentaries okay. and even being he was actually a member of the norwegian communist party until oh according to another musician from that scene he quit when the party leader apologized for pol pot which apparently made him not evil enough i, I <laughs> pretty fun. sorry i apologize for what pol pot the guy from cambodia like the the dictator from cambodia who killed like a ton of people oh so what he's saying mm. is like the the leader of the norwegian communist party apologized for pol pot which he should have because pol pot was a maniac right and apparently Euronymous felt that he wasn't evil enough or that the party wasn't evil enough for him so he quit interesting um messiah the their first vocalist messiah he only performed with mayhem for that aforementioned talent show that i was talking about mm-hmm. after they would recruit a guy named sven eric christensen whose name stage name was maniac who they would record their first ep called death crush with uh, maniac would make himself known to mayhem through a demo that he sent of his one-man band called septic cunts <laughs> Oh, I put I put that in there just so I could say the name of his band was Septic Cunts. Hmm. I I understand. I understand that. I'm glad that that information is is being uh, very circulated. Information. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. That, that, that's a good take home for everybody listening. So the uh, this black metal scene at the time was very limited as far as record company interest and venues for live performances. I can't imagine why. The, uh, yeah. <laughs> but the the band would have some interviews in underground metal magazines, such as a magazine called Slayer Mag. And uh, or just called Slayer, I guess. But they uh, they would post their address, and Euronymous would receive and write letters to like-minded people around the world. So he was really good at uh, getting in touch with people that way. Yeah, that's a pretty um, solid way of gaining a following. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and there was also uh, at the time uh, mail, like tape trading through the mail, was also another way to get your music out. So like bootleg oh, yeah, yeah. demos and stuff. That's something I'm kind of sad. I guess it's around in a much different way now because you can just like look up similar bands that you're interested in but that that kind of thing always sounded so cool yeah even up until i was in high school there was still lots of bootleg tape trading going on obviously uh, now it's uh, everything's digital now and way faster but yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a way before before the internet was really widespread for small bands to to get noticed right or to get their mm-hmm. music out there even uh, just the idea of of like i have no idea who you are but here's here's an album that i like send me one that you like like that that seems like a really cool human element yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, when, when Maniac was recording Death Crush, he was nervous, and according to him, and everything tightened up, and it resulted in his voice ended up it ended up being at a higher pitch than it was uh, like in his demo, and okay. uh, it, it resembled some sort of like a god awful howl. I guess those were my words. <laughs> I don't know if that's uh oh, it's your words, not theirs. Okay, is that good or bad for the band? Uh, well, I mean, that you'll have to judge that for yourself, but. Okay. One of the guys who was talking about it in the documentary, I think he related to like a, a pig howl or something. Like it was, it, it was referred to as some sort of howl. Hmm. They had a thousand copies of Death Crush printed and the uh, the printer who did it for them, they screwed up and they made them all pink. And it was supposed to be like a blood red. Yeah. So it's like the first, I guess it was an EP, not a full album, but the first like vinyl that they had pressed and printed ended up with a pink cover. Kinda... I just looked it up and... Uh... 
<laughs> yeah, that would make me pretty mad. <laughs> it's like it's it is a hot pink. Yeah, and there, there was another guy that mentioned uh, that Euronymous's name was actually left off the cover accidentally, so he ended up signing each one. And that guy oh. was uh, the, the guy. He was from another band uh, in one of the documentaries. He was from another black metal band at the time, but or later right. on. But he said he had at one point he had six copies of it, and they were all signed by Euronymous, and he like wished he hadn't sold them because he probably worth yeah. Them, you know, it was only a thousand copies, and imagine how many of those even survived. Yeah. So they they did re-release it later on with the uh, with the red too. So the, mm-hmm. yeah, if you had the pink cover, it was from that original thousand. Right. The the band members don't recall anyone actually saying they liked Death Crush at the time. The EP. Right. <laughs> uh, the singer Maniac. He recalled a guy named Thor Rune Hagen. He was writing for I guess it must have been a magazine or a newspaper, or something called Pulse. And he he said something like, "I'm not sure if this record should be played at 33 or 45." But anyway, it sounds like Captain Hook fingered Margaret Thatcher. That's quite the image that conjures that's, up. That's a very vivid, yeah. Hmm. Pretty, so topical funny, for the time also. Pretty funny review, though. That was like the entire review. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> but uh, overall, Death Crush is viewed as a very important release to the development of the black metal genre by, right. uh, by, many, by many that were in that scene. So uh, after this, Mayhem was looking for a permanent vocalist. And uh, Necrobircher recalls checking the mail and finding an awful smelling envelope that contained a dead mouse crucified on two sticks. <laughs> like an actual dead mouse crucified on two sticks. Along, uh, with a, huh. <laughs> along with a demo by a band called Morbid from Sweden. And the, the singer of the band was a guy named Per Ingve Olin, or as they call him, Dead. You might have heard of. Uh, yeah. <laughs> some, of these, some of these are just so simple <laughs> my name is maniac my name is dead yeah they're really to the point eh? <laughs> <laughs> seriously in the uh in the Hellbeat documentary they interviewed dead's younger brother uh, as an adult at this point and he uh right. he recalls his brother having a tough time in high school he he got beat by a gang at the school so bad at one point that he almost died and his spleen actually ruptured it seems like this experience helped inspire his stage name Pretty pretty sad story actually when you hear some of the the background. Yeah, a little bit. The scenes with Dead's brother talking about him added a really human element to the often dramatized and graphic story of it. So it's it's, it's kind of cool to see because like the until the light takes us in the movie Lords of Chaos they really focus around the, the the suicide itself and the the murders and the church burnings but there's you know there's a lot more behind it than just that 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 Hellbeat documentary was a. Uh, a multi-part documentary that was shown on Norwegian television mm-hmm. and uh it's like three hours long but it's really good if it goes really in depth and, and interviews a lot of people that are tied into the story uh so not long after dead joined mayhem they recruited a drummer named Jan Axel Blomberg also known as Hellhammer and he was known to be a very good drummer by others in the scene okay so at this point uh Mannheim had had dropped out right dead was very serious about his craft so aside from the corpse paint makeup that he was known for doing, and also burying his clothes outside in the dirt before shows, they uh, uh, <clears throat> uh hmm. yeah they show that they show that part in the movie in the Lords of Chaos movie where he buries his clothes and then, like digs them out, puts them on before the show. It, was it to give him some sort of like spiritual boost, or was it just I really want my clothes to be dirty? I think he wanted to be like, sort of just out of the grave kind of thing. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, okay. It's like things like that that I'm just, um, it's almost annoying to hear about. I'm like, that's 
stupid. <laughs> yeah, the thing about the thing about Come Dad on. was he was he was uh <laughs> he was just so dedicated to it. Like he did everything for the I mean, I can say the right reasons, I guess that's a matter of opinion, but like it just seemed like he really meant what he did to Yeah, to, he himself was fully engaged in it, even if it looks silly from the outside. Like it almost wasn't just an image for him, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, it reminds me of like the one thing. Um, it's it's super gross, but it's of uh, Slipknot. I don't think I do not think they do this anymore because they're all like fifty. But they had I think it was a dead crow in a jar, and they yeah. would huff it before the oh, show because it would get them hyped up. And it's like that's super gross. I kind of get it though because it's this really really gross smell, and then you're smelling a corpse, and then hey. you're hyped up for this metal show. This is really funny because the next line, the the next thing that I had written down was <laughs> at one point he allegedly had a bag of dead crows that he would open and breathe in in between verses while he was singing. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so, so Dad was actually doing that way before Slipknot. <laughs> oh, in between verses, huh? <laughs> Apparently, yeah. It's pretty intense, man. Because because uh, in this just in the Slipknot one, I'm like they said they were puking a lot, so <laughs> you'd have to be yeah. real tolerant to this dead crow bag that you got. And I believe yeah. it. I mean, based on how committed it sounds like he was. Yeah, man. This isn't just like a dead crow in a jar. This is a bag of dead crows. <laughs> this is was, a whole bag. It was during the show, yeah. And he would also he's also known for cutting himself on stage. So the, the mm. first concert that Mayhem played with Dead on vocals, Euronymous and, and Dead had a plan for Dead to cut himself. Uh, and Necrobircher didn't like the idea, so he gave him dull knives to use so he wouldn't be able to cut himself. But then Dead ended up just smashing a Coke bottle and cut himself so bad with that that he had to leave the stage. Oh, God. He was bleeding so bad. Yeah. So yeah, like I was saying before, Mayhem isn't so much known as much for their musical output. They, they, I mean, they put out early on anyway. They only put out you know a, a really shitty demo, uh, that EP, and then one album. But their reputation in the scene uh, and their and their role in in the scene itself was really, yeah, what made them so important. Right. So uh, it seems. At the time as well, it seemed a common theme that people around the band they also rem they remember Dead as being very disturbed and depressed, and he actually needed help. There was they could see that something was wrong with him. So in 1991, when the rest of Mayhem were with their families for uh, Easter, Dead slit his wrist and shot himself in the head with a shotgun in the house that the band had rented. Yeah, so there. That's yeah, there that's pretty is. well. That's pretty well known. Like I'm sure you heard about that. Yeah, so, yeah, that's uh, yeah, yeah. I'm aware of that part. I mean, this is more, I'm trying to just give out information. I'm not trying to glorify this in any, any way. It's, like, it's a pretty tragic story, really, right? Yeah, I mean, like, if you really kind of dive into it, it's it's probably a bunch of isolated, like, young men that have created this whole world that they, they live within. And, like, maybe that starts to get to them because they've created a really negative space for themselves where they think, like, the devil is their savior and all that. I, I think Dead, Dead came into this... Like he came into the band with already with a lot of problems, you know. Yeah, he already, he already yeah. had a lot of issues from from before in Sweden and stuff. So this wasn't mm -hmm. even necessarily related to his time in Mayhem. Yeah, and I I gotta imagine the black metal scene wasn't big on like mental health. So no, I mean they were a bunch of kids, right? So they they don't even yeah. really, they don't really think about that stuff at that age. Yeah, maybe more this day and age, but not back in the eighties. Yeah, in definitely that, not. That. The story is that Euronymous found the body, and then he went to get a camera. And rearranged things around Dead's body and took pictures of it to promote the band, basically. Right. I and mean, the uh, the picture he took was actually used on the cover of uh, I think it was a live album that they put or a live bootleg called Dawn of the Blackhearts. 
And uh, Euronymous was also said to have given letters with pieces of dead skull made into necklaces to certain other musicians in the scene. Yeah, there it is. It's less fun when we go through the whole story because now I kind of feel bad. It's, it's pretty dark, man. Like, yeah, um, they, they in the movie, the the Lords of Chaos movie, they they do dramatize it a bit, but a lot of the stuff that you hear firsthand from a lot of the guys that were there, it's very, it seems very close to what actually happened. Mm -hmm. uh, do you know, you know who plays Euronymous in the movie? No, who is it? You're in Culkin. <laughs> no hmm. joke. Yeah. Hmm. He is a good actor. <laughs> I know, he did, he did a good job. The movie kind of yeah. takes, it, it makes it a little bit goofy, but the stuff that's going on is, is really, really serious and, and fucked up. Yeah, interesting. Here in Calcum. Hmm. So uh, Necro Bircher, he didn't like the way that Euronymous was exploiting Dead's death, and he would actually leave the band for a period of time after that. Oh. Soon after Dead's suicide, Euronymous would open up the record store Helvate in Oslo, which right. like was, was very important to the scene. It would be a, it would be a central gathering point for the musicians in the, the Norwegian black metal scene, like I said before. And uh, allegedly, they were referred to as the Black Circle, this group of guys that would hang out there. Okay. Euronymous in his record shop would be instrumental in many of the local musicians deciding to gear their bands towards playing black metal. A lot of them were more into thrash and death metal at the time. Right. So uh, he had started up a record label. It was called Poser Corpse Music. <laughs> Interesting. Ah. Yeah. He started that label in 1987, but would eventually rename it Death Like Silence Productions, which he would base that out of... better. Yeah, it definitely flows a bit better than... I mean, Poser Corpse Music sounds like the name like a 15 year old would come up with yeah or yeah. you just randomized a couple of words <laughs> and then put them together this is the name yeah and uh he would he would base his record label out of his uh, his record store Hellvate. okay so this this label would release several early black metal albums okay so uh, sort of pion pioneering the community a little bit yeah yeah and like groups of people that enjoy them too and get them all together yeah i mean this is still a pretty small group at this time yeah pretty yeah. uh concentrated in norway but i mean there was also black metal scenes in sweden and some other places but mm -hmm. it seems like norway was kind of the the original so uh, a central theme in lords of chaos was the eventual contentious relationship between uh varg vikerns also known as count grishnak <laughs> Ooh, that that's yeah. good that's a but, that's a good one and another it, lord of the rings name that's awesome that's, yeah he was like an orc <laughs> from lord of the rings right yeah, uh, I I want to say one of the ones that captures Frodo when he's in Mordor. Yeah, you you definitely know more about that than me. You're... Yeah. Ah, no, it's yeah. he's the one who captures Merry and Pippin. I knew there was a Hobbit involved. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Vikerns had quite a few uh, Lord of the Rings references in his uh, right. time in the black metal scene. Mm -hmm. So Vi Vikerns was the mastermind, if you want to call it, <laughs> mastermind of the band Bur Burzum. I mean, I'm just gonna call him Burzum. I, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. Burzum. But... Yeah, I can't do that. <laughs> Which uh, they would be, or he would be, because it's a one-man band. He would be one of the first bands released on Euronymous's Death Like Silence Productions. And uh, the, okay. the royalties which were owed to him for his records that he released would be a source of friction between the two of them. Right. There were uh, yeah. several church several church burnings in Norway around this time, mm -hmm. three of which Vikernes eventually was found guilty of, in addition to the attempted arson of a fourth one. Mm-hmm. So there, there was like a lot more. I, I can't remember what the number was. It was something like, it was like 50 of them altogether that were uh, either burned down or 
or attempted to be burned down. And a lot of them are attributed to the ones that were solved anyway, were attributed to either this scene or people who were copycatting. The guys yeah, that's, that thing. that's nuts. Like, these were, these were historical churches too, right? A lot of them are ch churches from like the early, I like to say like 1200, 1300, <sighs> more, like, like pretty old. That's, yeah. That that's, that's the part that always irks me is like, you're not just making a statement. You're just straight up destroying historical sites. Yeah. But, but the, the, that was purposeful, at least in Vikern's case, because he's clarified, even though he, uh, he didn't actually claim responsibility for them in the interviews, he clarified that the arson was revenge for Christian desecration of Viking graves and temples. Uh, so okay. it was, uh. at least in his mind, it was the, the Christians that come and, and like forced, forced it on them and taken right. away their, their, you know, their pagan religions and stuff and their, the Viking stuff mm -hmm. that they were into before that. That's a good, good, good excuse. Sure. Yeah, Let's go with that. that. <laughs> totally, totally uh, forgivable. That's, uh, I mean, that's just, that's just one guy who knows what the other arsonists would say. Was there. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. The, the cover of Burzum's EP, it's, uh, I don't know how to pronounce it, Ask, Aske? It's like A-S-K-E, which actually means ash. It's, uh, it's a photograph of one of the destroyed churches called the Fantoff uh, Stave Church. So he's kind and of, he, uh, sort of, uh, <laughs> he's implicated himself, eh? <laughs> well, yeah, like, this is before he actually got convicted of this stuff. So it's like he's kind of just teasing the authorities a little bit. Yeah. There. <laughs> yeah. Like in the cover of Mayhem's album, like their their first full album, has a picture of Nidaros Cathedral, which Vikerns and Euronymous had allegedly made plans to blow up to coincide with the album release. Hmm. So there's a lot of very not subtle Easter eggs. In this. Yeah, I, I <laughs> guess like people knowing about it would be kind of the goal there. When you watch the when you watch the movie and and you, you gather from some of the interviews that Euronymous wanted. Like the infamy for the scene, like wanted to be known for like all this crazy shit, right? Mm -hmm. So after this, Euronymous would end up being murdered at his home by Vicarans. Man, some of these names are just killing me. <laughs> it's okay. Even, even, the, even the stage <laughs> names. In uh, in August 1993, so Vi Vicarans had claimed that he thought Euronymous was plotting to kill him. They play out the entire scene in the movie Lords of Chaos, and then in Until the Light Takes Us, they do an interview with Vicarans where he goes through the entire murder step by step and it's pretty much exactly how the movie portrays it so it's almost like it wasn't even dramatized that much yeah and again i killed him because i thought he was going to kill me is uh yeah. well, not not a great reason <laughs> well he said like, i mean there was some stuff in the movie where euronymous had this plan to like to tase him and, and kill him take him to the woods and kill him but he right. actually went to euronymous's apartment to there's supposed to be a contract that euronymous was going to give him the sign to sign over the rights to his albums or something like that. And then right. they were going to be kind of done with each other. But during this uh, meeting at his apartment, Euronymous went to go uh, somewhere else in the apartment and Vikerns thought that he was going to get the shotgun. Like mm -hmm. I think it was the same one that dead killed himself with. And he ended up acting first and attacking him, stabbing him. Right. So, but he, it turned out afterwards that he didn't have the weapons in the apartment, but at the time in the interview, anyway, Vikerns claims that he believed he did. Okay. So he would be uh, Count Grishnak there. Would be uh, yeah. There you go. So he'd be sentenced to 21 years in prison for the murder and the arsons that he got convicted of. And he, uh, like I said, he calmly describes the sequence of events leading up to the murder in the uh, "Until the Light Takes Us" documentary. Mm -hmm. A guy named Snorri Rook, also known as Blackthorn, 
he had gone to Oslo with Vikerns, uh, drove with him there, and he was charged with complicity in the murder and sentenced to eight years in prison. Wow. Okay. So they they did throw the book down at least. Yeah, they they both went to jail for significant significant amount of time. Yeah. The other well-documented murder from the black metal scene around that time was the stabbing of a man in Lillehammer's Olympic Park in 1992 by a guy named Bard Aethun, uh, a.k.a. Faust. <laughs> uh, the... No, it's fun. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Just single syllable. What the hell is that? Yeah, come on. It's well, not even the, like dead or something. Yeah. Actually, I guess dead is single syllable, but it's much more to the point. you know. Yeah, <laughs> you know exactly what he's trying to do with that. Yeah, so Faust was the, at the time, was the drummer for Emperor another black metal band right and he, he would eventually confess to the murder and he served over nine years of a 14-year sentence resulting from that but they actually didn't find him they didn't know it was him for it was a, a little over a year and then right. finally police got onto him and ended up confessing it okay both murders were like i said graphically depicted in the lords of chaos movie if anyone's interested yeah uh which which i uh i did look up like a few minutes ago and uh, Andrew is actually Rory Culkin, <laughs> the third Culkin brother. Oh, I was wondering why he looks so was freaking it? young. And I was like, <laughs> well, I, I went to it and it's like, oh, it's Rory Culkin. I don't know if he's been in much else. And then there's also Jack Kilmer, Val Kilmer's son, and yeah. uh, the other Skarsgård brother, Walter Skarsgård. So it's like all of these famous family celebrities that weren't quite as successful as the others. It's, it's pretty funny because like I remember watching it and thinking, hey, that's Kieran Culkin. And then, but I was thinking this movie must have been made like 15 years ago because he looks so young. <laughs> but right. I think it was only I think it was only made about four years ago, and it's uh, obviously not Kieran Culkin. Which it's just the other, so the other third Culkin, the one that's not in Home Alone. Thanks for clarifying that. Hopefully, our listeners don't hear me use the wrong name early on and just turn off the podcast because we. <laughs> God damn it! He's never going to get this right. <laughs> we're obviously correcting it later on, so. Yeah. Please no angry emails. <laughs> well, at least not about that. I'm sure there's lots of other stuff. I could yeah, fair game on everything else, just not yeah. the Rory Culkin thing. So Euronymous uh, and Blackthorn, they, yeah. they're known in the Norwegian black metal community for developing a, uh, new guitar techniques back in the late 80s that would be widely used in black metal. So getting mm -hmm. a little more technical here, I guess. Okay. Yeah. So on, a, on a Norwegian website, they describe the technique as, quote, they use all six strings to create what you might call a more melodic form of dissonant noise. So that was kind of a neat take on it. And this is opposed to most metal. Yeah, this is opposed to most metal at the time using power chords made up of two or three notes. So that's why right. it was so drastically different, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Blackthorn actually demonstrates the technique in the Hellvate documentary. Yeah. So blast beats are also used extensively in black metal, which would be an explosive, violent drum pattern that originated in grindcore and hardcore punk music so you, you know blast beats are right uh double kick drums cut that out of oh, form wrong it's like using a bunch of i i'd have to read the definition again but there's it's like using a whole bunch of stuff at the same time on the drums like very like in a certain pattern like oh so. okay yeah i think I, I i know what you mean now i didn't know the name of it but i definitely know I can I could hear a blast beat and know it's a blast beat, but I as far as it goes like describing it, I'm not a drummer. I just I just looked it up. Yeah, I'm not a drummer either. That's that's the thing. But it's uh it's part double kick, so I understand. Yeah. But a lot of black metal and death metal use. Yeah. So another important quality, or I guess lack thereof, of early black metal was the intentionally poor production quality. 
So they would purposely right. use very basic or shitty equipment to intentionally get a rough sound. Right. Or like, I guess like a lo-fi kind of sound. Mm -hmm. uh, a journalist in Hellvate, the Hellvate documentary tries to clarify the difference between death metal and black metal. And in his, uh, these are translated words, so I don't know how exact they are. But according to him, in black metal, image was very important. So the makeup often in a corpse paint style, black clothing and hair, bullet belts. While death metal, the clothing was, in his translated words, so-so. So I guess the clothing in death metal wasn't as important to the, the image, the scene. Yeah. And yeah. uh, music-wise, death metal was normally more technical and better produced. While black metal had a certain atmosphere to it, used more primitive riffs and often uh, lower production quality, we were talking about. Right. That's like this it's thing on is, purpose. Yeah, at the time it definitely was. I, I'd say now I, I'm more well-versed in modern black metal, I guess, stuff that came out after. Like I'm getting really into this older stuff now, early Norwegian stuff, but uh, a lot of the newer stuff, there's much better production and a lot more technical musicianship as well as a yeah. lot of uh, like symphonic elements and stuff and other, other instruments. Well, yeah, it's like I can understand yeah, if there's a certain image you're wanting to go for with the lower production value, but then there's a certain point where no one's going to just throw on an album if it sounds bad. <laughs> like if it just sounds like I'm not listening to high quality audio. Well, this is probably a reason that the scene was so uh, condensed at the time, so small. Yeah, absolutely. And for you know, black metal's gotten a lot more popular and well-known over the last yeah. you know, 30 years. But like I said, a lot of the bands are not restricted by that. Yeah, yeah. So although Mayhem was the center of the early scene, what's regarded as the first Norwegian black metal release, uh, at least full album, is generally considered to be 1992's A Blaze in the Northern Sky by a band called Dark Throne. So right. Mayhem, Throne. yeah, Mayhem, they're they're pretty well known now. Uh, Mayhem wouldn't actually release the, that album, Mysterious Dom Satanas, how you say it, until uh, 1994. It was after Euronymous's murder. And this was actually Dark Throne's second release as their debut album was a death metal album and they uh, transitioned to black metal. Okay. So uh, many of the early Norwegian black metal bands had started out as death metal bands before they right. got caught up in the scene, which uh, centered around mayhem. Right. And other Norwegian bands would soon follow suit. Bands such as Enslaved, Satyricon, Gorgoroth, uh, Demi Borger, and there's lots of others, but that's a story for another day because this ended yeah. up <laughs> this mayhem stuff ended up taking up like the, the entire body of my material <laughs> yeah, it's a big it's a big story and then all of those bands are also like pretty large in their own right yeah I, we could do a whole another episode on and, and i'm i'm more into uh i was really into demi borger for a long time i mean still am and some of the the newer bands i guess in that scene right. so i uh yeah this was definitely a learning experience for me because even i'm a little bit too young for this i kind of learned about it later Mm -hmm. yeah there's definitely a lot a lot in there and i forgot to mention this uh earlier too the uh with the the skull fragments from from dead rob told me that story when i was probably under 14 years old and uh i looked it up and then found the album cover they had where it was just him after having his... shot himself in the head and... yeah, it, was his, it was his head with his like brain sitting beside his skull yeah, and uh, that that sat with me for a little bit. So thanks, Rob. Appreciate that. Yeah, it's pretty disturbing. Before I get to the workout playlist here, uh, another thing that I I didn't write down, but I'll mention is uh, so Euronymous took that the picture and allegedly staged it and whatnot and used it to promote the band in the scene. And uh, Necrobutcher was really unhappy with that 
And in a, in a more recent interview from a few years ago, he he mentioned that he was actually thinking of going to kill Euronymous as well. <laughs> like he mm. was so fed up with them. And yeah. uh, but Vikerns beat him to it. <laughs> oh, that's that's the U-turn that I didn't think you were gonna say. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say like he was gonna he wanted to kill uh, Grishnok for it. No, no. Apparently, oh. apparently uh, there was some pretty hard feelings between Necrobitcher and Euronymous by that time. Just because of how Euronymous handled that situation with Dead and how far he took it. So. Hmm. But yeah, so right. on to the workout playlist. Yeah, let's get to the workout playlist. Another roller coaster. I ain't got time to bleed. This is the Let's put a smile on that face. Long week, quit drinking. All right, the uh, first song we're gonna do is a song called ne- I don't know, Necrolust or Necrolust by Mayhem. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. from uh, don't read too much into that, and don't read the lyrics. <laughs> it's, uh, from the, right. <laughs> it's from the Death Crush EP. So, uh, aside from the they put out a demo called Pure Fucking Armageddon, hmm. uh, Mayhem did the year earlier, but I've, I've listened to that on YouTube, and it's like if you want to talk about low production value, okay, check, check out Pure <laughs> Fucking Armageddon, but uh. Aside from that, Death Crush was pretty much their first release, I guess. Uh, Death Crush was the seedling for what would grow into Norwegian black metal, although it's really more of a thrash or speed metal album than black metal. But right. it would definitely set things in motion for what would come later. So, okay. The song itself, after a mid-paced intro, the song kicks into a crushingly fast and heavy song, but it was extremely rough production still. And uh, Maniac, who was the vocalist at the time, his vocals are... They sound like a distant, tortured howl. Distant, but I mean, they sound like they're way in the background. And, okay, uh, <laughs> like like physically, they're yeah. far away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, remember, I was telling you how his singing ended up being at a higher pitch than it was supposed to because he was so nervous and stuff. And you right. can really, yeah. you really gather that from listening to it. It's uh, okay. it's, it's a, this is a good place to start from on this uh, on this playlist. All right, uh, Necrolust, Mayhem, and you told me not to, but I I got to see the lyrics while I'm listening to this. <laughs> You've been warned. Yeah. <laughs> right, Necrolust. Yeah, yeah, I do wish that I hadn't read the lyrics. Told you, man. <laughs> to, to the song. You, uh, you, you did, never you listened did tell to me. me. Uh, I well, once you tell me not to, I probably wasn't even going to check it out. But uh, uh, I will say one of the one of the better lines: "Her guts were boiling out of her butt." I just find the the addition of "butt" in between all of the many many actual curse words in there is uh, kind of yeah. funny. And that's one of the the least <laughs> offensive lines in the song. Did you make it? You made it through the the intro into the, the faster part, right? Uh yeah. No, I, I I skipped ahead when I realized it was gonna go on for a while. He is far away. He's he like does, in the sounds, next room. He sounds really distant. I, I don't think they had top of the line recording equipment. Or <laughs> yeah, actually, you know what? Yeah. When they talk about it in the documentary, they were at a studio, but I think they just set things up a certain way that they wanted to sound like that, basically. Okay, okay. It's not awful. It's literally just the yeah. vocals that really get lost. The rest is kind of there. Yeah, there's a ton of energy in the guitars. It's a, it's a, it's more of a like I said, a thrash metal riff, 
but right. it's pretty pretty awesome yeah number two we'll do the song from the dark past by mayhem from the album right. de mysterious dom satas the guitar style on mysterious is it's noticeably shifted from thrash to what would be known as the black metal style but okay. for me the drums are really what stood out uh, this is mm -hmm. where Hell, hellhammer had taken over from Mannheim. so i mean it taken over a few years before but this is the first album they would release so it was the first one with him studio recording with the band right uh, but if you check out like his his blast beats and his fills are epic he's uh Sweet. like pretty high energy like pretty phenomenal drummer in my opinion and other people's opinion i think uh the the vocalist that uh, attila sihar guy or <laughs> that name yeah. uh, his vocal style is more of a it's, a it's kind of a toneless throaty growl he's not my favorite black metal vocalist but it definitely sounds evil if nothing else uh all right from the dark past mayhem That's a black metal song. You feel yeah. the the vibe that they are going for. You can definitely tell that like you can hear the shift from that first song to to from the dark past. And and although Euronymous had already been murdered before this got released, that's him. On, he recorded the guitar for this, so that's his guitar. Wow. Okay. So song number three, we're gonna do the song "War" by Burzum from okay. Burzum's self-titled debut. It's uh it's my favorite riff off this album, and Vikern's vocals are goddamn awful sounding to be honest <laughs> but they're they're really fitting for the mood and the themes of the music and okay. it's all pretty impressive considering vikerns played sorry count krishnak <laughs> played <laughs> all you. the uh played all the instruments as well as he was still a teenager at the time yeah so uh yeah just just think about that he played the guitar the drums the bass and sang on this like he did everything himself which is pretty impressive and just a side note the song Feeble Screams from Force Unknown is the best song title on the album. So we're not, we're not going to listen to it, but it's, I love that title. Well, now I'm going through the song titles. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's the, that's the best one. I, I mean, I channeling say, the power of souls into a new God is not nearly as good. That's one of my favorite, one of my favorite things about these black metal albums are the song names. There some of them are just unreal. <laughs> well, the next one is just the crying orc. Like that. Is that a ballad? Uh, I think it's just a, uh, I think it's just a like a instrumental um, interlude, I yeah. guess. Oh, okay, yeah. It's only fifty eight seconds long. Yeah, you might yeah. be right. Uh, all right, uh, war. I'm not gonna pronounce it. It's Burzum. <laughs> I don't want to do that anymore. Thank you. This is <laughs> wow. Sounds like he made it on GarageBand. <laughs> <laughs> if you had other people, it's impressive they did it all himself, but if you had different people doing different parts and maybe weighing in, it'd be good. You're right. He can't really sing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for what he was trying to do at the time, it's probably exactly how he wanted to sound. 
But when yeah, you hear true. it, it's like you hear the guitar. It's like this is a pretty sweet riff, and then you start singing. You're like, oh my god, right? <laughs> What's going yeah. on? But uh, yeah, he was he was mostly a guitarist and a bassist. I don't think he was known too much as, as a drummer, except for his and his beers and stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, the the guitar is is good. Yeah. All right, number four. Yeah. Song called Paragon Belial by Dark Throne, and it's from the album A Blaze in the Northern Sky. Hmm. The song it's. I know I use stupid description words. <laughs> it's a, it's kind of it's got kind of a galloping tempo, simple black metal riffs. Vocalist his name's Nocturnal Colto. Oh, that's a sweet <laughs> name. That's a yeah, good one. Sweet. <laughs> he's uh, he's got kind of a throaty growl that really sets the mood for the, basically the first true Norwegian black metal album. It's okay. uh, it's really raw and dark. Sweet. All right, uh, Paragon Belial. Yes. Dark Throne. Yeah. Okay. That, that song is awesome. I love that. He's got like a Phil Spector wall of sound thing going on in a in a good way. Usually I don't like that. Yeah. Uh, Dark Dark Throne's got a cool sound. They're not uh they're not as fast and like tight and like musically as some of these bands were, but uh they definitely have a cool like atmosphere to their music. Yeah, I, I like the slower tempo because it gives it like a prog metal sort of feel. Like it's almost yeah. like tool, but then it's still black metal yeah. style. Yeah, Dark Throne's early stuff is all except I mean obviously not maybe not their their death metal album they put out before this, but their yeah. uh, their early black metal stuff, their first few albums are are like that. I think yeah. you probably enjoy them. Yeah, I really like this. So uh going on to number five. Yeah. The song called Transylvanian Hunger, also by Dark Throne, from the album Transylvanian Hunger. Oh. Uh, it's it's got a it, even a rougher mix in the, the uh Blaze in the Northern Sky album. And the uh that mix in the rawness is really apparent i guess even through their first two black metal albums mm-hmm. and so this would be i guess their third album since transitioning to black metal fourth overall okay so it's got the whole song's got some sinister sounding riffs and and vocals and and for me i always remember phil anselmo from pantera he used to wear a transylvanian hunger shirt back in the day oh that's sweet yeah so that's what alerted me to its existence back when i was you know a teenager right right but i, I didn't get into it until Quite a bit later, but it's it's almost got like a it's almost got a sludgy sound to it. Okay, sweet. Yeah. I'm excited for this. Uh, Transylvanian hunger, Dark Throne. <laughs> I mean this in the best way possible. I think Dark Throne would make for a really good skiing playlist. <laughs> Just like driving beats and like longer songs, you know. They've changed their sound over the years too. They, I read about them a bit, and they don't play live ever, uh, and they haven't for years and years. But they've okay. put out 
quite a few albums over the years. There's just two of them now. There's a Nocturnal Colto and a guy named his stage name is Fenriz. Yeah. And uh he's actually Fenriz is actually a really interesting dude. He uh he does a lot of interviews and stuff and he actually put a video out where he he goes down to this huge whiteboard and he draws out a history of black metal on this whiteboard in like half an hour and it's really cool. Yeah, I looked him up Fen Fenriz and he is like labeled as a music journalist so it sounds like an interesting guy. All right, we're going to next one's going to be number 6. It's called This is a long title. A sign for the Norse hordes a sign for the Norse hordes to ride. So freaking long. A... The song is by the band Immortal. It's from the album Pure Holocaust. All right. And I thought it was their first album. They actually have another, I don't know if it would be an EP, but this would be the first one that's more well-known, I guess. Um, and it's these guys really kick it up a notch. Their riffs are lightning fast and lots of intense blast beats. And they Sweet. also have some great song titles. <laughs> and aside from Emperor, Emperor's got some incredible song titles. Uh, but immortal are uncompromising and very over the top, like Sweet. in their uh, aggression, which I love. Yeah. They have some, they have some legitimately ominous song titles. Even in this, the sun no longer rises, and yeah. as the eternity opens, like those are those are pretty good dramatic names. I like that. Oh, I I love it, man. Sometimes I just like to read through their song titles. I'm not even listening to the music. I just <laughs> <they're> <laughs> kind of just. You guys are good writers. <laughs> Some crazy dark shit they come up with. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, all right. A sign for the Norse hordes to ride. Immortal. I, I love that. It's um I'm a big fan of the show Metalocalypse and yeah. they must have taken a lot of inspiration from these guys because it, it sounds a lot like what they do, which I'm assuming yeah. is in, in reference to this. Like the I, really fast beep and then you have the, the higher sort of harmony going. Yeah, there's tons of blast beats in uh yeah. Metalocalypse or uh what's Death Clock. <laughs> Death Clock, yeah. I was just gonna say I know that song Mermaider is like one of my favorite songs ever. But yeah, Immortal is phenomenal. Like Immortal, Immortal is more. I would say they're 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 getting away a little more from that low production quality because their music sounds yeah. really good, and they're they're instrumentally like the just the the speed they play at, and you can still it's not just noise, right? Like you can actually hear the notes and yeah. stuff, and the, and the drums, and they're really good. Um, so because I like Immortal so much, I'm doing another Immortal song. But number seven <laughs> okay, is uh, number seven is a song called "Cursed Realms of the Winter Demons." Hmm. Fucking another love it. great title. It's <laughs> awesome. By by Immortal. It's from the album Battles in the North. It was the album after Pure Holocaust. Right. So uh, once more, fast as fuck with uh, <laughs> with, with singer. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce these names. Abath. A b b a t h. Abath. Abath. Mm -hmm. Ironically sounding demonic because the song's curse of the winter demons. Right. His almost decipherable vocals, which is surprising because they're so raspy. Yeah. Uh, but I am a, I'm a big fan of Immortal's early speed and heaviness compared to other bands in this genre. Uh, right. like, like I was mentioning, they're more technical and a bit less atmospheric, I guess, than some of the other bands on the list. And uh, it's mm -hmm. great workout music. So it definitely belongs <laughs> to the playlist. 
Sweet. Uh, I, I will say questionable album cover, but otherwise, oh, yeah, all the song the titles guys, are awesome. The two guys just posing on the front there. <laughs> it's it's that. It's the white background, and then it's the yeah. font they chose for the album cover. Like it looks like a wedding invitation. <laughs> <laughs> but the the song titles are all they all hold up. <laughs> all right, uh, cursed realms of the winter demons, immortal. Yeah, it's a sweet song too. I, I love that. The only the only part I did I cracked up at I think it's like the minute mark. Yeah. And he doesn't really start singing until about two minutes, but the, He's going, <laughs> the Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he lets out a quick a quick belch or something. Oh, I love it. <laughs> but the swash. rest is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm gonna keep the workout playlist to eight songs today, which is uh, very rare for me. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> so number eight is a song called I Am the Black Wizards, which is a, an, another amazing song title by the band Emperor. <laughs> it's from the album In the Nightside Eclipse. Right. So although Emperor is no no less fast and heavy as the others most times, they would incorporate some folk and classical influences and also symphonic elements into their music, uh, even early on. And they create some great atmosphere and sometimes almost melodic black metal which is right. i mean became more commonplace later on but at this time it was uh the melodic part was not really uh, right done, done very much so and this song is actually it's pretty catchy relatively speaking like compared to other black metal at this time uh best album art that i've seen so far and there's been some good ones like they're all they've all got a good spooky imagery minus the last one uh but this one yeah. I, I love the i love the art this looks amazing I mean, there's some some of the bands I, I can't remember if it, was, it might have been Dark Throne, but they were talking about how they all these other bands like death metal bands and stuff were doing these painted album covers and they wanted to get away from that. Yeah. So, but Emperor definitely didn't. They have these pretty wicked, epic painted album covers. Yeah, I love the painted album covers. It's awesome. Yeah. Oh, so do I. Cool. All right. I am the Black Wizards Emperor. <laughs> favorite song so far hands down i love that that was awesome yeah. you're right it is catchy like it right away they get the melody going and it's um that's a great song yeah there's a lot going on there i find with i find with black metal especially listening to songs for the podcast i listen to them mostly on my headphones and i find a lot of this black metal is way way better on headphones because you you get all the subtleties and all the right you can really hear all the instruments where if i listen to it in my car it's just not the same like if I listen yeah. to it on, on just like some shitty speakers, but uh, yeah, when I have headphones on, I listen to this stuff. I just pick up like everything, and it's some of it's amazing. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, because I have like these big noise canceling headphones I wear for this, and mm -hmm. uh, like, it's exactly that. Like you hear, you get to hear every single piece of the production. Yeah, and and Emperor. I mean, I recommend all these bands to a point, but Emperor is a band that I listened to a little more previously, I guess. And their yeah. first two studio albums, so in the Nightside Eclipse. And uh, the second one, Anthems to the Welkin at Dusk, 
are both really good. Right. Uh, so no, I, I yeah, highly recommend. But uh, just to name a couple, like I, I just want to name the first three songs on this album. Okay. <laughs> uh, Into the Infinity of Thoughts. Which I love. That one's great. <laughs> song number two, The Burning Shadows of Silence. And then song number three, Cosmic Keys to My Creations and Times. Like these guys are freaking phenomenal coming up with song. Oh, it's amazing. You you gonna stop before Beyond the Great Vast Forest? Come on. Uh, well, I I need to leave. Awesome. I need to leave something for the audience to find for themselves. Right. You know? I can't ruin it. <laughs> yeah. You're right. You're right. <laughs> so technically, that's the last song on the workout playlist. But I just wanted to give a quick mention to uh, there's a guitar a, a guitar and bass EP called Grimmerk by the band Thorns, who I mentioned was one of the early bands. But Thorns didn't really release anything. Well, actually, no, they didn't release anything until about the late 90s, I think. Right. So the, the guy Blackthorn, who was heavily involved in this scene, he he actually he says in an interview that the demo, although it was just guitar and bass, it got sent out before they could add the intended vocals and drums to it. Hmm. So it ended up getting passed around to just a guitar and bass tracks. But it was uh, the, the riffs in them were the style that he and Euronymous have been working on, this new kind of what would be known as like a, a black metal guitar style. Yeah. So this this EP was pretty instrumental in uh, helping to create that style to develop it. So I, mm -hmm. I just wanted to throw it out there if anyone's interested. Uh, I, I put it on. It's on YouTube. Uh, it's not on. It's not on Spotify, but it's it's on YouTube in its entirety. And uh, I listened to the first few songs on it, and there's some really cool guitar guitar work on there. So okay. I just wanted to uh, put that out there for anybody who's interested in getting a little bit deeper into this this scene. Worth checking out. Yeah, so it's uh, Grimmerk, like G-R-Y-M-Y-R-K. Sweet. All right. Uh, well, if, that, if that's it, I have never really listened to any of these bands before. So this was, I have like three albums to check out that I really liked. And then maybe just to satisfy my curiosity, listen to the whole, <laughs> what was the, what was the second one? War? Oh, Burzum? By Burzum. I might, I might have to just go through it, the whole album. Yeah. Not not all of the vocals in the in the other songs are as abrasive, I would yeah. say. Yeah. There, there's actually quite a few songs worth listening to on on those first couple of Burzum albums. So I, I recommend those two. I just picked War because it's got the coolest riff for, yeah. for my oh, point of view. But uh, yeah, like vocally, that's probably the the most <laughs> like hard to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that playlist we just went over, so don't forget it is on Spotify. We update that every week with these new songs, so make sure to check it out. And that is going to do it for this episode of The Heavy. So see the show notes. We have a complete list of the songs that you heard and a link to that Season 3 workout playlist that we just went over. That's where we add all the songs to. And be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please tell a friend and leave us a rating on iTunes. Our website is theheavy.podbean.com. You can email us at theheavypod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Heavy Pod and all of those. Our show is edited by Ian Sutherland. Andrew does the research. Our brother Rob designed our logo. And our theme song is Stallions of the Highway by Savage Blade. I'm your host, Don Sutherland, and thanks for listening. We'll catch you again in two weeks. Later. <laughs>